Chapter Fifty One of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume One, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Fifty One The Burning of Varney's House. A NIGHT SCENE. POPULAR SUPERSTITION. The officer ceased to speak, and then the party whom he had sent around the house and grounds returned, and gained the main body orderly enough, and the sergeant went forward to make his report to his superior officer. After the usual salutation, he waited for the inquiry to be put to him as to what he had seen. "'Well, Scott, what have you done?' I went around the premises, sir, according to your instructions, but saw no one either in the vicinity of the house or in the grounds around it. No strangers, eh? No, sir, none. You saw nothing at all likely to lead to any knowledge as to who it was that has caused this catastrophe? No, sir. Have you learnt anything among the people who are the perpetrators of this fire? No, sir. Well, then, that will do, unless there is anything else that you can think of. Nothing further, sir, unless it is that I heard some of them say that Sir Francis Varney has perished in the flames. Good heavens! So I heard, sir. That must be impossible, and yet why should it be so? Go back, Scott, and bring me some person who can give me some information upon this point. The sergeant departed towards the people, who looked at him without any distrust, for he came single-handed, though they thought he came with the intention of learning what they knew of each other, and so stroll about with the intention of getting up accusations against them. But this was not the case. If the officer didn't like the work well enough, he'd rather have been elsewhere. At length the sergeant came to one man, whom he accosted, and said to him, "'Do you know anything of yonder fire?' Yes, I do know. It is a fire. Yes, and so do I. My friend, said the sergeant, when a soldier asks a question, he does not expect an uncivil answer. But a soldier may ask a question that may have an uncivil end to it. He may, but it is easy to say so. I do say so, then, now. Then I'll not trouble you any more. The sergeant moved on a pace or two more, and then, turning to the mob, he said, Is there any one among you who can tell me anything concerning the fate of Sir Francis Varney? Burnt! Did you see him burnt? No, but I saw him. In the flames? No, before the house was on fire. In the house? Yes and he has not been seen to leave it since, and we conclude he must have been burned. Will you come and say as much to my commanding officer? It's all I want. Shall I be detained? No. Then I will go, said the man, and he hobbled out of the crowds toward the sergeant. I will go and see the officer, and tell him what I know, and that is very little, and can prejudice no one. Hurrah, said the crowd when they heard this latter assertion for at first they began to be in some alarm lest there should be something wrong about this, and some of them get identified as being active in the fray. The sergeant let the man back to the spot where the officer stood a little way in advance of his men. "'Well, Scott,' he said, "'what have we here?' 
A man who has volunteered a statement, sir. Oh. Well, my man, can you say anything concerning all this disturbance that we have here? No, sir. Then what did you come here for? I understood the sergeant to want someone who could speak of Sir Francis Varney. Well? I saw him. Where? In the house. Exactly. But have you not seen him out of it? Not since, nor anyone else, I believe. Where was he? Upstairs, where he suddenly disappeared, and nobody can tell where he may have gone to. But he has not been seen out of the house since, and they say he could not have gone bodily out if they had not seen him. He must have been burnt, said the officer musingly. He could not escape, one would imagine, without being seen by someone out of such a mob. Oh, dear no, for I am told they placed a watch at every hole, window, or door, however high, and they say nothing of him, not even fly out. Fly out? I'm speaking of a man. And I of a vampire, said the man carelessly. A vampire? Pooh, pooh. Oh, no, Sir Francis Varney is a vampire. There can be no sort of doubt about it. You have only to look at him, and you will soon be satisfied of that. See his great sharp teeth in front, and ask yourself what they are for, and you will soon find the answer. They are to make holes with in the bodies of his victims, through which he can suck their blood. The officer looked at the man in astonishment for a few moments, as if he doubted his own ears, and then he said, Are you serious? I am ready to swear to it. Well, I have heard a great deal about popular superstition, and thought I had seen something of it, but this is decidedly the worst case that I have ever saw or heard of. You had better go home, my man, than by your presence countenance such a gross absurdity. For all that, said the man, Sir Francis Varney is a vampire, a bloodsucker, a human bloodsucker. Get away with you, said the officer, and do not repeat such folly before anyone. The man almost jumped when he heard the tone in which this was spoken, for the officer was both angry and contemptuous when he heard the words of the man. These people, he added, turning to the sergeant, are ignorant in the extreme. One would think we had got into the country of vampires instead of a civilized community. The day was going down now. The last rays of the setting sun glimmered upwards and still shone upon the treetops. The darkness of night was still fast closing around them. The mob stood a motley mass of human beings, wedged together, dark and somber, gazing upon the mischief that had been done, the work of their hands. The military stood at ease before the burning pile, and by their order and regularity presented a contrast to the mob, as strongly by their bright gleaming arms as by their dress and order. The flames now enveloped the whole mansion. There was not a window or a door from which the fiery element did not burst forth in clouds, and forked flames came rushing forth with a velocity truly wonderful. The red glare of the flames fell upon all objects around for some distance, the more especially so as the sun had sunk, and a bank of clouds rose from beneath the horizon and excluded all his rays. There was no twilight, and there was, as yet, no moon. 
The countryside was enveloped in darkness, and the burning house could be seen for miles around, and formed a rallying point to all men's eyes. The engines that were within reach came tearing across the country, and came to the fire, but they were of no avail. There was no supply of water save from the ornamental ponds. These they could only get at by means that were tedious and unsatisfactory, considering the emergency of the case. The house was a lone one, and it was being entirely consumed before they arrived, and therefore there was not the remotest chance of saving the least article. Had they ever such a supply of water, nothing could have been affected by it. Thus the men stood idly by, passing their remarks upon the fire and the mob. Those who stood around, and within the influence of the red glare of the flames, looked like so many demons in the infernal regions, watching the progress of lighting the fire, which we are told by good Christians is the doom of the unfortunate in spirit, and the woefully unlucky in circumstances. It was a strange sight, that, and there were many persons who would, without doubt, have rather been snug by their own fireside than they would have remained here. But it happened that no one felt inclined to express his inclination to his neighbor, and consequently no one said anything on the subject. None would venture to go alone across the fields, where the spirit of the vampire might, for all they knew to the contrary, be waiting to pounce upon them and worry them. No, no. No man would have quitted that mob to go back alone to the village. They would sooner have stood there all night through. That was an alternative that none of the number would very willingly accept. The hours passed away, and the house that had been that morning a noble and well-furnished mansion was now a smoldering heap of ruins. The flames had become somewhat subdued, and there was now more smoke than flames. The fire had exhausted itself. There was now no more material that could serve it for fuel, and the flames began to become gradually enough subdued. Suddenly there was a rush, and then a bright flame shot upward for an instant, so bright and so strong that it flew a flash of light over the country for miles. But it was only momentary, and it subsided. The roof, which had been built strong enough to resist almost anything after being burned for a considerable time, suddenly gave way, and came in with a tremendous crash, and then all was for a moment darkness. After this the fire might be said to be subdued, it having burned itself out, and the flames that could now be seen were but the result of so much charred wood that would probably smolder away for a day or two if left to itself to do so. A dense mass of smoke arose from the ruins, and blackened the atmosphere around, and told the spectators the work was done. End of chapter 51 Recording by Roger Moline